0: I have already been greatly encouraged today. Uh, I hope you have. If you have your copies of Scripture, if you will, turn to Hebrews uh, chapter 12. Uh, This is our 24th week together, uh, giving attention to this letter. Uh, I hope that you have been challenged. uh, encouraged and convicted I was reminded as I was being encouraged as we were looking at those texts uh, from Hebrews just a moment ago and then uh, looking back at Christ onwards uh, finding our our hope uh, in the gospel and the fact that God did send his son being reminded of our community and the struggles that our community faces but you know I, I know this is true of you uh, I know it's true of me as much as our community needs the gospel, I need the gospel. I, I need to hear it. Um, I was with people that I love last night, and uh, some of them are, are not believers. Some live in terrible darkness, and there is such an oppressive nature that comes in that darkness and it is clear and it is not something that I impose upon that individual or those individuals because of where I know they are it is something that is reflective and reflected off of them because of that oppression of sin and darkness and even just a moment ago, as we were thinking through our confession, I pictured the houses that are behind us and the families who live in those houses, and was thinking that darkness, that same kind of oppression and darkness, rests in some way in every household. That's true. And to some degree, it may rest in your household. And certainly the potential of it is to be in your household in some way. And the only salvation that we have is that which is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as I felt the darkness and oppression last night Janice can attest to this, it impacted me and affected me in ways that whenever I was even talking with her about something I did not I was not operating out of a context of peace or contentment or satisfaction or even hope. But then I was reminded again by the grace of God as I recalled the text the hope rests in Christ Jesus. And I want you to know this is a real thing. So even as we prepare for our open house, please see it as less of an event and see it as an opportunity to actually get a chance to come face to face with the people that we pray for. So these This darkness and oppression and need for Christ is connected with a real individual and it is not abstract and it is real. And please, my prayer is that our hearts and our minds be so informed about what we have heard as we have have delved into the text that when we see that, that we really do see The coming judgment for all of those who are apart from Christ. So we do ask you to set aside that day. But there are other days leading up to it that we're going to communicate with you that we want you to set aside as we walk here in this community and pray and hand out flyers and try to make connections with people at the park and in the community in the coming days to let them know of the open house and and it is very much as Adam said it's not just about getting them here to a place but just another opportunity for us to be able to connect with people because here's what's clear you and I, by and large, are not connecting with them. That's the reality of it. We're here to do that. We say we're here to do that. We, I really believe we desire to do that, but it's not enough for us to talk about doing that. We have to do that. Otherwise, uh, they will end up in the judgment with someone who had said, if you will, that I would really like to reach out to them. But for whatever reason, we didn't. Because here's what we know. And as we met in our pastor's meeting this past week and talked about kind of where we are, and we're constantly evaluating where we are. How are we tracking along with our mission and our purpose? How are we doing those things? Here's what I know that I've become convinced of even in my own life, that I have been in a setting prior to this That even in vocational ministry, I had to reach out very little in a deliberate way to reach people. They just showed up. They were there. There were always new people there. Was that a good thing? It was a bad thing? Well, there was a draw there. There was something there that was drawing. I I can't say I'm not here to talk about what it was or what it wasn't. What I'm saying is, is that we have become conditioned to think that lost people are going to show up at church. And you know what? Why would they? The reality is, why would a person who has rejected Christ, who in in many ways has nothing to do with God and wants nothing to do with Him, why would they come to a place that deliberately and specifically does what we do today and what we have done, and that is to worship God? they would not want to. That is the reason why when we read in Matthew that the fields are white unto harvest, I have a little bit of a farm background. I grew up on a farm. You know what didn't happen? When the crops were ready to be to come in, they didn't jump into, the corn didn't jump into the grain bin. The, the peanuts didn't pull themselves up out of the ground and, and pick them off and, and wind up in the grain bin and, and then onto the market. It didn't happen that way. We went out in the fields and we gathered it and we brought it in. That's what we are about. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 18. Just follow along as we read to the end of the chapter. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it'll be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous, righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the spiritual sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Early on in looking at this text, I considered this question. This just came to my mind. And and I'm going to put it in the first person in in me. Jimmy, what are you pursuing? What am I pursuing? I want to ask you that question. What are you pursuing? What are we pursuing? I I directed that question to me personally because I, I needed to hear that question. Where am I going? So I contemplated and thought about this. What is my life really about? Sitting down looking through the course of my daily activities and where I am at almost sixty one, well, what is my life really about? What, what is it saying in the way that I am living? that sounds a bit maybe ambiguous, but the fact is is every person here is after something you are after something no matter how old you are no matter how young you are and even if it appears that you're unconcerned and wondering aimlessly and purposefully so it's because your aim and your purpose really would be to do nothing more than just what you want to do at any given moment do you know anyone like that are you like that If we have realized anything from this letter, it is that faith in Christ necessarily sets the stage for life and establishes the stakes. The stage for life is life being lived out in a world that was created by God. We've heard that in our text here this morning. Governed and ruled by God, but a world that will not last It will not. It's a world that reflects the glory of God for sure in ways. It points to His order without question. His wisdom and His power. In fact, that's what Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 1. When he went on to say that they were without excuse. Why? Because what they needed to know about God, about His wisdom, about His power, about who He is, is all seen in The order and nature of the things that he's created. So creation is a wonderful thing in regards to that. But it is not a thing that will last. It's a world that's filled with wonderful things. Grand things. Everything about the world is not bad. We know that. God has created it. Told us to subdue it. And from that we enjoy things from the world. But it is not a world that contains Him. It's ruled and governed by Him. It's made by Him. But to win the world doesn't mean that what we win is God. In fact, to win the world is to win, as we will look a little bit later in our text, is to win something that will be shaken to the point and in the, in the, in the, in what's being said is shaken to the point that it is no longer there. That's what it is to win the world. It is a world that is filled with opportunities. But it is not a world that offers the opportunity in and of itself to have God. It's a world that if somehow we win in this world, It is because we have won the presence of God, but not by the world or through the world. This is a world in which we live. It's a world in which Adam, ever since he sinned in the garden, was stationed to live in. Thus the station of life. Thus our status. That's where we are. So this world and all of its pleasures cannot offer us God. But there's also the stakes that we have heard. The stakes are established. And what are those stakes? Yes, we live in a world that's created by God, ordered by God, ruled and ultimately governed by God. But it is a world that in His providence, His wisdom and His justice, that He has allowed to be infiltrated by sin and rebellion and corruption. And consequently cursed by and because of that sin. So as we looked at our confession this morning and back to our catechism, what is it that the person receives who ultimately rejects God and does not place his or her faith in God? They receive the judgment of God that has come because of sin and rebellion. So it's clear that for those who acknowledge His authority and righteousness, they'll be hated and despised as He is. Which is why Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. Those are the stakes. And this pretty much sums up the reality of the stage and the stakes in this life. If we look to Christ, this is where we have been pointing to all along. If we look to Christ and follow Him, we will be hated as He was hated. And if there's any question, as to the degree he was hated, hopefully you caught that in the second of that trilogy of songs that we sang as you looked at the cross. When you look at the cross, that's how much he was hated. And and you're probably thinking right now, Jimmy, that's just completely an over-exaggeration. This has not been my experience. This is not the experience of my life. I trust God. I followed him. I'm with you there. It's not been my experience. But I can't get away from our text from last week that said what? That our struggle against sin has not yet led to the shedding of our own blood. But it can. It can. And the question is, will we stand if it does? That's the question. Is our faith today a faith that we will cling to and hold on to even to the point of the shedding of our own blood? The giving of our lives. The bearing of the cross, if you will. This is exactly where these people were. Remember, the believer is not a person that shrinks back. In fact, the author of Hebrews says that. If you will, uh, look uh, back in chapter 10 and verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. The believer is not one that shrinks back. We are people who can and do often Become weary in our struggle against sin. I just confess mine. Maybe you are there as well. We fight sin within us and the effects of sin around us. We can and we do become tired. Some of you may be tired and weary of fighting this world and fighting against sin. And you know what often happens whenever we get tired? We give in and we give up. We do. We just, we just give up. I don't know how many of you have ever watched a, a, a boxing match or a wrestling match and there are some times that in the course of that fight the person becomes so tired and weary has expended all that he thinks he can expend and he just gives up. He throws in the towel. Says what's the use we often do want to throw in the towel. How does it seem? Well, this is the way we experience in our lives. Most often, we get tired of fighting against and pushing against that which continues to bring resistance to us. And remember, we live in a world that offers all kinds of pleasure, so we give in and we succumb to the pleasures of this world that is we want to give into the instant gratification and the instant pleasures why because we have been fighting against sin and fighting against sin and temptation and fighting against these things all along we're just tired of fighting we're tired of fighting And yet we recognize that we're called to run the race with endurance. That's what this author has been saying over and over and over again. To continue to push endure to the end because there is a prize that we are running for that is not known and can't be known in the victory, if you will, of seizing this world and all that it has to offer. There are those who labor hard, long, and consistently to the point of death or to death. A reward that is far greater than all the good and the pleasure that's afforded in the substance of this world. And this is what the author of this letter has been encouraging us and those readers to grasp. And so here we have come. To the end of chapter 12 to the crescendo if you will of this author's argument and he has been arguing all along that our call in faith is a call to a life of following Christ that is hard and difficult it's fighting sin within and it's fighting sin without and it's pushing and standing up against Apparent threat and immediate threat of life and property and all that we have. All these things, for the most part, when we begin to talk about, we don't have any knowledge of. But what we do have knowledge of is that it doesn't take much. I can get in the presence of a dark, oppressed person and I can become heavy-hearted and I can be influenced by that And it will impact my life and affect me. That I do know. And then I do know that it has a bearing upon my heart and my attitude and the way that I live and the way that I respond and the way that I look to life to the point of, is it worth it anymore? Is it worth continuing to pray? Is it worth continuing to evangelize? Is it worth me continuing to share the gospel? Why don't I just give in? I'm saved. Why don't I just give in and let the world and let these individuals go the path that they are going and ultimately go to hell? But we can't. We can't. I know this seems heavy and serious, but as a church, as individuals, we have to give consideration to these things for our own lives because if we don't, we will give up in our mission and we will stop being who we are called to be. And the life of faith is a life where we push on reflecting the glory of God and continuing to speak the gospel, preach the gospel, continuing to press forward or we stop and we enjoy, if you will, the immediate pleasures of today in this world and what it has to offer and therein is the reason that we began with the question, what are we? pursuing. What are we pursuing? No God has placed us here in the midst of this redemptive history. And the author of Hebrews is speaking to us. I want us to look briefly at these last few verses of chapter 12. If you're taking notes you can jot down four things. There's a whole lot more here than four things. But we're going to look at four things. The author of Hebrews points back to two geographical spots. Very real spots. There was a literal Sinai and there was a literal Zion. They were both mountains. Those two mountains represented Two very important covenants. We've looked at the covenants. We're not going to go back and rehash that. What we are going to do is just point back to what was being stated by them and in them. So there was Sinai and there was Zion. And in the course of redemptive history, those two mountains still stand. And what they represent still stand today, and what they represent impacts us today. And will make a difference in the way that we live. Four points. Sinai condemns. You may just want to write that down. Sinai condemns. Zion commends God secures. He shakes and secures. We're going to talk about both, but God secures. And believers celebrate. Believers celebrate. Let's look at those four things from the text. Sinai condemns. Now there are all kinds of pictures that the author of Hebrews has pointed back to. And if we were Jewish, we would really understand this maybe in ways that we we want today. But we will do our best in looking at these texts. Sinai stood as a picture of the authority, the power, the voice in the presence of God, but it rendered a particular response on the part of the people that was not a wrong response. In fact, I believe that it was exactly the response that God intended for it to bring. So let's take your Bibles and turn back to Exodus. And let's look at chapter 19 and 20 and see if we can get a picture of this. Remember, Moses has the Deliverer, a type of Christ, has come, delivered the people out of Egypt. And while we're there, I want us to look back at this, but while you're there in Exodus, back up in chapter 5, verse 1, there's a purpose in the deliverance. And God states that purpose. He stated it to Moses. What was the purpose of the deliverance? He said, oh, they needed to be free. Well, yeah, they needed to be free. But there was even a purpose for the freedom. Oh, they were going to the promised land. They were going to go to the promised land. But there was a purpose for that. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. So all they're doing is quoting what God said. They're not making this up. This is what he said. Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. What was he saying? They were being delivered to worship God. They were being delivered to worship God. If there is any reason. For us to be together today. That reason ultimately rests in our worship of God. I want you to hear that again. The reason for our being here today is for the worship of God. The reason that God has saved those here who have been saved. Has been to worship Him. You know, if we can ever get that fixed in our minds, and it's what we struggle with most. If we can get that fixed in our minds, that will serve, if you will, uh, as 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 the north star will serve as a direction for our life in that everything about our existence and our purpose and our deliverance and our salvation rests in our rightly worshiping God. I have over the course of the last months, I have come in contact with things that I haven't been in contact with and I keep bumping into these things and when I keep bumping into them, I am tempted and I am challenged and yet the thing that and I bless God for this that has come to mind is that my purpose and my existence is for the worship of God. It's not about me. It's not about my comfort. It's not about my health. It certainly has nothing to do with wealth. It has nothing to do with those things. All of those things not only are are clearly vulnerable and fragile. None of those things ultimately have any bearing on me and my eternal existence and my continuing to be able to worship God. My circumstances do not dictate to me my worship of God and should not. Even here, we recognize that they are being delivered, but it is a picture of their spiritual deliverance for them to be able to worship God. Please, please, please get that and understand that because that sets the stage for us in all that we do in the rest of our lives. It sets the stage for us in what we establish as our priorities. It sets the stage for us with what we spend our time doing. It sets the stage for us here as a church regarding our commitment to continue with our mission and that is to reach a lost community. Why? Because we have been delivered to worship God and evangelism. And I'm going to borrow this From John Piper, evangelism is that of sharing the gospel so that those who do not worship God can and will become by God's grace worshipers of Him. That is that God becomes what is most worthwhile because He is most worthy of all of our attention. That's what it means to follow Christ. It's what it means to pursue him. So in verse chapter nineteen, in verse sixteen, we look back at this mountain. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountains, talking about Mount Sinai. They have stopped there, and to set the stage, the law is getting ready to be given. In other words, God is preparing his people to reveal himself to them through the law and by the law and he's getting ready to give it but he has designated this place to give them some understanding of who he is because they can't see him but he wants them to know about who he is and about his presence So on that morning, on the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Now, I love to hear trumpets. I've never heard trumpets sound in a way that would cause me to want to tremble. These were so loud And the tone and the ring and its force was such that the people trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly and as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in a thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. I've never seen in real life the eruption of a volcano. I've seen pictures of, and I've seen video of the eruption of a volcano. But if you will for just a moment, imagine them standing at the base of a mountain that was shaking and trembling and the ground around them, and it is rumbling. There is this thick, dark, black, Cloud cast over this mountain. In other words, it has completely consumed the mountain. And there are bolts of lightning coming down through the midst of the black clouds. And there is this thunderous roar. It sounded like multitudes of trumpets sounding off that incited fear at the very core of the people and they are standing there in the presence of God and this is what they are experiencing it is so fierce so tremendously frightening because that mountain was covered and consumed The very presence of a holy God. It was a force field of righteousness and holiness that they couldn't approach. And yet there is an invitation given to one man to proceed to the top of the mountain. Now look over in chapter 20. Look in verse 18. The law had been given... The people are still waiting as Moses has gone away. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, just feel this is rumbling. The ground is rumbling. The earth is rumbling under them. There is this smoke that is coming up from this mountain. And this smoke hovers and there's this constant rumbling and these flashes of lightning coming down and bolts of thunder. And all of this is taking place. The people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. That is the sense Of this experience for them. And that experience. And the ongoing testimony. Of that experience. Had carried over now. For generation after generation. After generation. Even that the author of Hebrews. Points back to this. And turn back over to Hebrews 12. Points back to this time. With the understanding. That these people had not forgotten the testimony of their ancestors and what all of this meant. And what did it mean? As those people stood there at that mountain and the law was given and they were in the presence of God, they knew this. I am afraid and I cannot go to Him. And I don't want to go to Him. I don't even want Him to speak to me lest I am killed. When these people were even contemplating looking back at the law for their salvation, the author of Hebrews reminds them, let's go back to when the law was given, was it a place that you found even then that was welcoming? Was it a place even then that you saw that offered you life? No, the reality was it did not, it could not, it was never intended to, it was to point them to the tremendous holiness of god and his power and his consuming power and his consuming fire how tremendous was it if an animal came in contact with it they were not to touch the animal they were to stone the animal man came in contact with it they weren't even to get close enough to the man they were to shoot arrows into him and kill him. If in fact he even could withstand the force field of the righteousness and holiness of God. Because God was for them in the law unapproachable. Not that he was not loving and gracious and kind. But he was unapproachable by way of the law. Now most of us don't have that problem today. Most of us don't even consider the heaviness of the law. Most of us seek and figuring out ways of how we can skirt the law. Most of us make plans and arrangements to get to God in some other way. The law is not our issue. But there is a good thing that came out of this for them with the law. And there it is, they realized that God was a God to be feared. Listen, most of us today, even those of us who know Christ and have trusted Him, did not come to Him because we first feared a holy and a righteous God. We're looking ahead at how we're going to reach our community. I can tell you that the people do not fear a holy and a righteous God. Our culture does not fear God. We don't have that ground and that basis to stand on with them. We have to help them see and understand who God is. We have to let them know that judgment is coming we will rely on the Spirit of God to make that real to them in their hearts. But our issues are oftentimes that even now that we know God, we don't even fear Him in the way that we should fear Him ourselves. So we find ourselves oftentimes powerless to even begin to talk about the impending judgment in a way that would cause people to believe that we believe that judgment is coming. Why? Because we fall within the categories of the text that we read in our confessions today. Those categories doing what? Cautioning in us all along the way. Reminding us, warning us of the attention that we need to give to God and what He has said to us. And yet we live our lives oftentimes... We do. Without consideration for those things. And I'm guilty of that. Sinai condemns. The author of Hebrews says, this is not where you need to go. Where have we come? In faith, where have we come? Look in verse 22. But you have come, not to Mount Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion. We began our service this morning, our call to worship, with a psalm of ascent as they were ascending to Zion, Jerusalem, to the place where the temple was, to a place that God had blessed. Blessed to a place from which blessings flowed because at that time the presence of God rest in their mind in the temple and it end, and they went there to worship and to receive the blessings and to bring their sacrifices and so as they would make their way up to Jerusalem they would sing these songs of ascent and this was a song of ascent basically crying out and saying God Restore for us our fortunes in Zion. In other words, show us the blessings that can only come from you that are found in Zion. Zion commends. Why does it commend? Well, look at what happens. It commends us. It doesn't condemn us. It commends us. It offers us life. And there are reasons why. Notice because first it is the city of the living God. In other words, this place is the place where God resides. Now, I want you to, I want you to picture this for just a moment. When we're looking at this text, we have to look at this text beyond today. Jerusalem doesn't hold God today. He didn't hold God and contain God even then. But the temple had been there and was there. The temple would be destroyed. But God rules and reigns the earth. He was recalling to their minds how special this city was and to look ahead at a new city of God. The city that we can't see. The city of God that Augustine talked about in his writings on the city of God, the place that, that John Bunyan talked about, the celestial city in which he was going to, a place that exists. That we can't see this city, this country, everything that the author of Hebrews has been pointing back to as he looked back at the hall of faith, at those individuals who looked ahead to that which they could not see, knowing that it was there, believing that it was there, pursuing that. And that's what he's pointing to here. This city, Zion, where God resides. A place where the throne of God is. A place from which He reigns. A place from which people go out. A place that we go to. When we're talking about heaven and we're talking about the presence of God, we are not talking about a figma of our imagination. We are talking about a very real thing. I'm looking forward to it. We should live looking toward that end. That is our goal. To be there with God. The heavenly Jerusalem pointing ahead to heaven. To what? To innumerable angels in festal gathering. When we first began Hebrews, what did we say Christ was not? He wasn't an angel. He's not an angel. But angels are rear, are. are Real. Excuse me. I Twist of the tongue there. They are real. And they are important because they're celestial beings. And they are gathered. they're They're innumerable. And they're gathered there. To the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. What's he speaking of? We are going to a place and we are looking to a place where all of those who have been restored and redeemed all the way back for all of those who have placed their faith and trust in God, the place they will be. They are enrolled there. Which tells us what? There is a register of those who are there. They are included. These believers are included in that registry. You, if you have trusted Christ, are included in that registry. In other words, there are definite people enrolled there. Looking ahead to that. And God is there. The judge of all. Hear that. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. The spirits of those who have been perfected what does justification do for us we have talked about it all along the way it brings us to a point of perfection being perfected in Christ and brought in to the very presence of God and to Jesus the mediator of this new covenant and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Look back over in chapter 11 just to be reminded. In verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Point being what? That Abel was received and commended by God because of his faith and his obedience to him. And the sacrifices of the blood that he sprinkled and even in his own death spoke volumes of the fact that there was hope and promise in God for those who had faith in him. But this is a blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It is the blood of Christ that has been sprinkled By him the great high priest on all of those that we've already talked about. On all of those who are being made pure and being covered with his blood. Zion commends. But notice what else? God secures. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. This is the second time in this chapter by the way that we are told to see to it. Have you ever told somebody to go see to it? Have you ever told your children, "Go just, just go see to it? You're telling them, go be about it. See to it that this is done. I've done that many times. Get ready to leave. Tell Jimmy or Jennifer, get this done and see to it that it's done when I get back. I wasn't playing. That, that was not something, when I said see to it, I meant for it to be done. It wasn't a suggestion. It was this is the way things have to be for things to be right. I believe the author of Hebrews has this in mind. Look back over where the first time we see it in verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And now we hear see to it that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. In other words, if you refuse this blood that is being sprinkled and the message that, it is, that, it, that comes with this message of Christ. If you refuse this one who is speaking, who is God, there are things that we know that should be expected. And notice what it says, for if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned on earth much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. The trumpet sounding shook the earth under which the people stood, shook this mountain. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And why? I am shaking everything away so that what is left is that which cannot be shaken. What is it that can't be shaken? Zion City can't be shaken. The kingdom of God cannot be shaken. Why are we pursuing the city of Zion and the God and the Christ and the Savior and Jesus, the high priest, and the sacrifice that rests in that city? Because it can't be shaken and everything else can. That's why this morning I asked, what are you pursuing? Everything we could get our hands on and muster up here if somehow we could hold it even after death, even if somehow we could hold it after our death, will ultimately not last. Because God will purge it and do away with it. And the only thing that is left is Him and His. And what does this do for the believer? Well, look in verse 28. Therefore, believer, therefore, unbeliever, give consideration and don't reject this word. Don't refuse this word. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Why? Because that same consuming fire that we saw at Sinai is the same consuming fire of God today. And in that consuming fire purges and cleanses And then holds and keeps that which He has purified. And we can only and are only made pure in Christ Jesus. I was reading through this text Monday morning. um, Thinking over again uh, our time together here today. And I was reflecting on and evaluating um, our, our times together each week. I ask this question for our corporate times. Do our times really reflect that we stand in awe of who God is and come into His presence with reverence? With a sense of being able, by the blood of Christ, to assemble before the same God as the people were gathered around at the base of Sinai. One who is a consuming fire. Yet, by the work of God in Christ, are invited in to His presence. Zion and Sinai look so different. The same God, but looks so different. Without Christ, we would not be able to gather here. We would tremble and would not even be able to stand the voice of God. But because Christ is our senior brother who has gone before us and prepared the way we are invited into the presence of this God. No less holy. No less fearsome. No less powerful. But we're able to come in and enjoy His presence. Thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why we are about pursuing Him in this life. That's why. That's why.